Good morning. It is uh, 10.07, and I started off this morning. Well, really, it's Brian's fault. It was the second topic was things. And, and it, uh, Joe Biden apparently does some things that annoy Jill Biden. And then uh, Brian suggested I get everybody into divorce court by <laughs> asking people to call up and tell us the most annoying thing their spouse does. Uh, Brenda, for instance, uh, said... Um, my husband uh, doesn't uh, doesn't even take out the trash, but he'll say something about the dishes piling up uh, or the uh, trash overload. Uh, but this you know, this doesn't have to lead to divorce, course. She's, but I, I love him. He works very hard outside the house. Um, uh, and then uh, uh, Carol says uh, you may you may want to have uh, the author of Men Are from Mars, uh, uh, Women Are from Venus. Uh, to come on and talk about how men need their ca cave time and women need to communicate. <laughs> uh, so now the the spigot has been opened and people are calling, including Kel. Uh, Kel, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, Gary, thanks for taking my call. Happy holidays to all you guys, too, by the way. Hey, um, I'm going to plead the fifth, too, on, on the annoying part, but I do want to add to what Brian said earlier, in particular about, you know, when um, females go out and make the grocery list and everything like that, and supposedly they're going out to get one thing. But the thing that's really annoying to me about that part, which I want to put some emphasis on, is, okay, you come back with every Thing with all of these extra items and everything, but the, the kicker for me is to forget the main thing that you went after. <laughs> you went after cute or whatever. That's She's done that before, right yeah. There. I mean, that's the part that really gets me right there, the part where you come back with all of these thousands of different things. And like he said, you only need that one particular thing, and you say, oh, I forgot this one. What about the other thing, honey? Oh, I forgot that, too. Well, you're supposed to get this other thing, too. Oh, I forgot that part, too. That's the part that rocks me. But you, look, guys, you're doing a great job. Happy holidays, and be safe out there. You too, Cal. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Yeah, I got to go out and get some toothpicks, come back with $150 worth of groceries and no toothpicks. <laughs> like, what? What the hell was that all about? <laughs> but usually, guys, they go for a specific reason. If yeah. you go in for a screwdriver, you go to come get out. the screwdriver and you come out with the screwdriver. Women yes. are like <laughs> going all through the sale. Oh, well, this this looks nice. Well, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. I, Gwen has never done this. They've never gone into a grocery store to get one item without coming back with several. Uh, I, I think it's just it's genetic for women. Okay. Um, for us, you're right. We, if I'm if I decide that I need to buy a wrench, I go buy my wrench and I come home. Uh, if I think uh, I want to buy a suit, I know just where I'm going to go. I'm going to buy one suit and I'm going to come home. Uh, and and every every woman I know, uh, and I can remember this with my mother, my sister. Uh, when it comes to shopping for clothes, this is insanity, guys. You never want to get hooked on that ride because it's uh, well. I went through eight thousand dresses on the racks over here at this store, uh, and I like that dress. Uh, she'll say. Uh, but then uh, I haven't tried that store at the other end of the mall uh, or the one across town. And the next thing you know, it, it's an all-day event. Um, and, they, you know, they, they 
they go from rack to rack, store to store, and finally come back with the first one that they saw. It's it's not fun. You, you don't want to do that. It's 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 uh, it's vicious. Anyway, uh, annoying things that uh, your spouse does. Feel free. 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572. And it's all in fun. Don't don't take any of it seriously. Don't, don't uh, you know, end up in divorce court over this. It's just not just But not if you it. do, it's Gary's fault. Uh, it's not my fault. You're the one who brought it up. And then the question, you know, and, you know, Brian as, and I... As I recall, you said, that's a really good idea. That's I don't what, remember saying our, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember saying that. Uh-huh. Stick to the phone, Hanson. <laughs> One of the most annoying things my producer does is point out when I'm being a hypocrite. And I wish he would stop. I did say it'd be a good idea. I did. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll go to Gary first. Gary, welcome. How are you? I'm fine, Gary. Hey, uh, in my household, I had a wife and three daughters. And none of them would go shopping with me after the first time because, like you said, I say, okay, I need a shirt. I go in, I buy a shirt, and I leave. (laughs) And that was not good for them. Yeah, I think it's some kind of an exercise. uh, You know, maybe it's, maybe they derive some pleasure going from place to place. Well, I don't know, but they wouldn't go with me anymore. So, you know, there you go. That That was the end of that excursion. Yes, it was. <laughs> All right, thanks. Take care. Take care. Oh, I, I've told this story on the year before, I think, uh, and it's a true story. My, it was right around Christmas time, and there was a, uh, a department store in uh, the Cleveland area. I think it was called Uncle Bill's, and it was kind of like the Walmart of its day, and my mother needed a purse, and my mother had very specific um, rules for the purse that she wanted. It you know had to be you know the size of a piece of luggage, uh, and it had to have a strap on it that had the tensile strength of Bethlehem steel. Uh, it had to um, be a certain color, uh, black I guess was the color as I recall. Anyway, she she wasn't feeling well, and she sent my father out to. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know the details. I just know that it was his job to go to Uncle Bill's. And fi- Let me paint a picture of my father for you. He is a stru- former structural iron worker, six foot two, really tough guy. If if you looked up the word manly, you'd see my father's photograph. We're at Uncle Bill's, and they've got this huge wooden table. And there are, I mean, it is just, it is, it's a, it's a melee. <laughs> They're pulling purses out and, and dad is in the, <laughs> he's in the mix with these women. And finally he tells me to get, get some help. <laughs> he's, he's just been, he's overwhelmed with this. And I can remember uh, until that very moment, it didn't appear to me to be very funny until I found a sales clerk and said, my father needs help. He's over there shopping for a purse. (laughs) Oh, man, that was just incredible. 
Oh, shopping for my father, shopping for a purse. You'd have to know him to, to appreciate just how bizarre that, that line was. You, shopping with women, it's, it's a, you got to be tough. Uh, ben, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be on. I want to push back on this shopping with women. Yeah? Y'all are not doing it right. You go shopping, and then you remind her that she needs a new bra. <laughs> then you spend all your time bra shopping with her, and it's golden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, see, we're on the radio, so I, I really can't go into two... Room. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to stay away from that, though. I can see where you're headed. <laughs> I, I, I sure can appreciate that. All right, Ben, thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. That cost us our license. Uh, Michelle, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm great, Gary. My first time calling. Just wanted to say, hey, you know, the most annoying thing can possibly be has not led to divorce court is the fact that my husband's the shoe hoarder of the family. And he will have a ring around his chair of all these different types of shoes and never, ever wants to get rid of any. Wow. Really? That is oh, really yeah. bizarre. It, it's never been my it's never been my problem, it, but it was his. Not that he goes out that often, but he doesn't want to get rid of them because, you know, they just might have that extra couple miles left in them. The Imelda Marcus of men. Uh, Brian, yes. how many pair yes. of shoes do you have? Uh, probably about uh, three, maybe. Yeah, I think I got about three. Maybe I've got four. I don't know. I've got a. That's about it. Uh, but Ask he me did about Denise. Uh, how many sh pairs of shoes does Denise uh, 86. have? Eighty-six. Eighty-six. Well, she's almost yeah. caught up to Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. And you know, uh, I think I told you that uh, when I renovated the upstairs attic bedroom. I put in a walk-in closet, a his and hers closet. Yeah. And it uh, quickly became a hers closet. <laughs> I have nothing in there anymore. In a little nothing. corner somewhere? Yeah. No, no all my stuff is laying on the, on the side couch. Here's your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you get a little wardrobe over in the yeah. corner. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm told. Uh, let me go to the phones here. Dave, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? I'm great, uh, Gary. Uh, I'm going to preface this uh, call uh, in case my wife's listening uh, at the radio. But uh, my pet peeve with her is she always has to have the uh, radio or the TV on. <laughs> she, I like to sit in silence. I, I could do without all of it all day. I usually listen to radio when I'm uh, in the vehicle. But, uh, but she always has to, as soon as she gets up in the morning, she turns on the radio or the TV. <laughs> I, I like peace and quiet. <laughs> well, I have to. I have to give it to her. If if she's listening to a Zimmer radio station, <laughs> then uh, I have to side with her. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, Dave. Thank you. Take care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan show. <laughs> All right, uh, we've got uh, Jennifer Bukowski in, in about ten or fifteen minutes. Um, and a whole host of other topics that we're uh, going to get to, in, including a California PTA group who's created their own little Mythbusters fact sheet. Get your kids out of government schools, I'm telling you.
Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1022. Jennifer Bukowski coming up. Brian, I was just reading the most amazing story uh, about the... Uh, the uh, and, and literally, I'm, this is... I'm doing this on the fly. I had it... I was just reading my email. I had no intention of going here. So we're calling it Audible. The... Uh, my my concealed carry pistol of choice is a 1911, uh, the 45 caliber uh, 1911, and in fact, I found one that is a double stack 1911. Has the trigger pull that I like, uh, and it has uh, it, <laughs> twice as many rounds. It's a it's a perfect gun for a guy my size. But there's this uh, Springfield Armory uh, has this link to the history of the 1911, including. The story of uh, a guy bringing down in World War II a Japanese Zero with his 1911. What? Yeah. They were uh, on a plane. They were supposed to take out a railroad bridge near two active enemy bases. And a group of B-24s took off, flying in formation uh, for what should have been, a, a, I guess, a routine mission. Instead... Um, things got a little tough. While en route to their target, a number of Japanese Zeros approached uh, their aircraft. A flight ensued. Their plane caught fire, and they had to bail out. The plane's 19-year-old sergeant tried to battle the blaze with a fire extinguisher, but it was it was just too much. So five guys bail out of the plane, and this guy Baggett remembered seeing four other parachutes open near him. And as they began their descent... Uh, you know, jumping out of the plane was the least of their problems because these zeros, these Japanese zeros, began strafing them as they were parachuting to the ground. Uh, in fact, two of them were killed, and he was uh, hit in the arm. And the Japanese zero that hit him in the arm circled back for a closer look, intent on finishing him off um, if he wasn't already dead. Thinking quickly, he pulled his 1911 pistol from the holster, played dead, and hung limp in the parachute harness as the plane came toward him. As the Zero pilot neared his body, he opened the canopy over the cockpit to get a closer look. And at that moment, <laughs> Baggett came to life, raised his 1911 semi-automatic pistol, and fired four rounds into the cockpit. One or more of Owen's rounds hit home, and the Zero spun out. And ended its assault against him. Once on the ground, he regrouped with two of the surviving crew members, though they were uh, no longer at risk of burning to death or being strafed by a plane. Uh, they weren't out of danger. In short order, they were taken prisoner. But I thought that was a pretty amazing story. Uh, he's in a parachute. His plane has been uh, abandoned. It's, he's being strafed by a Japanese Zero. He plays dead, and when the Japanese Zero gets close enough and the pilot wants to get a better look, he shoots him and brought down a Zero with a 1911 uh, semi-automatic pistol. Man, that's a weapon of war. They that's better, crazy. They better not let them, you know, Biden and the Democrats uh, need to get, get going on this and not let those uh, weapons of war be held in the hands of civilians. That's true. I was just thinking, what, what do you need a 1911 for anyway? Yeah. Yeah, why not just a pea shooter? Yeah. Uh, maybe a twenty-two. What an amazing story. What an amazing, what a bright guy. I mean, how 
How clever of him to play dead, hold that pistol. Oh, I, I just I admire people like that. What courage, what guts. Uh, New Jersey uh, lawmakers have passed a gun carry legislation. I'll probably talk about that on Saturday, get into more, more detail. But uh, let me do this uh, originally, what I was going to do, which is this story out of California, where a PTA group has created Mythbusters Fact Sheet. And uh, they're laying out why schools should not be pro-parent. Get your kids out of government schools. Uh, a California Parent Teachers Association group focused on diversity and inclusion created a Mythbusters fact sheet debunking why schools should be pro-parent. According to a document that was obtained by the uh, Daily Caller, it is in Palomar, California, the Palomar Council, uh, Parents for Justice, Equity, Diversion, and Inclusion. You know what that is, Brian? That's Jedi. Yes. How, how, how did they manage to come <laughs> up with that? Anyway, they want to implement justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the uh, Poe uh, e, uh, Unified School District and San Diego, according to the uh, Parents for Jedi Facebook page. The Mythbusters fact sheet created with the goal to combat misinformation and the politicization of racial justice. Um, schools should be more pro-parent is a myth. Really? You don't want to be pro-parent? That's a myth? Well, yeah, that, you know what, Brian? It occurs to me that's probably true. I mean, you had kids, but what do you know? Yeah, you're you're just too stupid to raise your own kids. And the term pro-parent refers to an anti-equity coalition, according to them. They uh, focus on equal rights in education. Opposed parents uh, opposes parents for Jedi mission who feels MythBusters fact sheet could be used to influence parents against the group. Uh, there's a, a I mean, this is just insanity. It's absent. They explain pro-parents sounds positive, but those groups are working to ban books, restrict any discussion of race, gender, and sexuality in our schools, and return to the basics. Well, that see, there's nothing. They're not supposed to be doing any of this. They're not supposed to be talking about race, gender, or sexuality. I mean, you can explain the biology of sex. I understand that. You can talk about our history and uh, uh, the Civil War and what that was all about. But sexuality? No. That's, that's, that's not their job. It's not why you send your kids to school. Their argument is that our work is somehow limiting parental rights and influence, the fact sheet said. These groups are also often advocating for school choice which would see tax dollars taken from our already underfunded public school districts to establish schools that would uphold traditional values. Underfunded? Oh, my God. Get your kids out of government schools. I, I got to get some common sense here. Let me get uh, Jennifer Bukowski. She'll be with us next. Talk about poor President Trump at Mar-a-Lago. That's next. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is uh, 35 minutes after 10 o'clock. 10.35. Glad to have you with us. 
Um, for those of you who made it to the Christmas party, many of you got to meet Jennifer Bukowski uh, in person for the first time because she was there. Uh, and so was uh, Dave Rowland and uh, several other uh, locals, in, in, including uh, Scott Van Kirk, who uh, guest hosts and uh, sometimes co-hosts Gary on Guns. It was a great, uh, great dinner. It was great to see Jennifer there. And she is with us again. And she is a story here. And it, it looks a little facetious because uh, she writes, Trump's Mar-a-Lago misery inside Donald's quote-unquote sad life. Um, Jennifer. Yes, so this is a Daily Mail piece that's basically cribbing from a Washington Post piece portraying President Donald Trump's life is pretty sad down at Mar-a-Lago. He plays 18 to 27 holes of golf a day, six days a week. He goes, then he gets dressed up in a suit and he goes to dinner at his club where the whole place applauds for him when he gets in and applauds again when he finishes and leaves. He's got a few assistants running around, including one that follows him around in a golf cart that's fitted with a laptop and a printer. So I thought that's kind of an interesting situation. I, I guess I, you can be on hand. I have that same thing. I've got a, a golf cart uh, with a, a laptop and a printer, and then uh, my personal assistant is Gwen. Uh, she just follows me around and it, takes she's notes. Just in, yeah, you got a coupon in a golf cart following you around and printing stories off for you or emails or whatever. Did you say, did you say a coupon or a cute blonde? Cute blonde. Ah, that's okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yep, so that's what's going on with him. And uh, it's uh, they're portraying him as sad and restless. Uh, one allegedly one of his other aides calls his allies to encourage them to give him a call on slow days because he gets so restless but he is like peaked and he knows it is basically the point of this article well um so they're trying to paint him as a lonely loser kind of and also like a uh, loose cannon because you know after he left he had to trade in most of his staff uh, for less experienced, less competent ones. He doesn't really have anyone around him that'll say no. And that's what some believe led to him having that dinner with Kanye and that white supremacist guy. Which, what Kanye was doing with the white supremacist guy is another question, but hey. Yeah, well, they're not going to do a story on that. So, um, it's it just kind of a hit piece. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of portrays him as sad and lonely. But, I mean, he's on... Oh, well, he's also frustrated because he doesn't have Air Force One. And his jumbo jet that has Trump emblazoned on the side is still in the shot. But the man has jets. He's got multiple golf courses that he owns. And he's, like, going in between the one in Mar-a-Lago and the one in New Jersey. And uh, he's still married and everything. So his life you know, sounds pretty decent, you know. Uh, yeah, but you know, yeah, just he because sounds very active, like eighteen to twenty-seven holes of golf. That is a lot of golf. Well, would that also be a guy who's bored? Yeah, it could be, but it seems like he's really active because he's meeting different people for dinner and golfing all the time. But he is kind of staying cloistered at his own properties, not going out from them. Hmm. Well, um, just because he's rich doesn't mean he's happy. Money doesn't really buy you happiness. It can be, it, it, it's nice it to have. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, not arguing that, but you can be very rich and very miserable at the same time. Uh, oh, yeah. But that sounds like it's just a hit piece. Yeah, it does. But it's kind of an interesting inside view of, like, what his day-to-day life has been looking like lately. He hasn't given, like, a speech out in the country since he made that kind of um, not that well-received announcement on the 15th that he's running again for president. Do they um, have anything really of value to add? Uh, or is that it, the whole point was just to make him look bad? It does look like a hit piece made to look him, make him look bad or feel sorry for him, actually. Which probably infuriates him even more if he sees this thing. Well, we'll see what happens. Tell me about this uh, police secrecy loophole in uh, Texas. Well, this is a Reason magazine uh, piece, and it's asking, will the Yovade shooting prompt Texas to finally close the police secrecy loophole? Since the shooter in that case eventually died after the cops eventually went in as he's murdering children, this is that horrible shooting down in Texas, and the suspect was not convicted, there's a loophole for any kind of sunshine request for, you know, the 911 tapes or any of the reports because there wasn't a conviction in the case because the guy is dead. And this has long been kind of a problem in having transparency in Texas with these types of cases because when the police kill someone, then the police department can say, well, here's an exception to the sunshine rule. You can't have any of the records and see what happened. Now, the governor threatened to veto a bill that would fix that loophole in 2019. But uh, we don't know since the Ovalde shooting has happened if his opinion would have changed on that. Uh, I don't know. As, as, a, as a defense attorney, what's your opinion? Should they? I think I'd like to see those records. Just because if someone is killed by the police, you know, then the presumption is that they had it coming to them. And this guy sure did, you know. But I think it's good just for transparency so that everyone can see things are done on the up and up. Things were not done on the up and up in Old Valley because they had the police there for, what was it, an hour or 45 minutes while the guy continued to kill people before finally people from the Border Patrol arrived and went in and took the guy out. It was a horrible situation and the police really messed up and heads need to roll over that, you know, within the police department, figuratively. And I think it would be good to have transparency so they can, the people know who they're paying and if they were part of the huge mess up that was that response to the Uvalde shooting or not. All right. Well, we're going to have to follow that. I, I'd be willing to bet nothing changes. Right. I'm. I'm just. Uh, that's it, just where I stand on this. Uh, you got several other topics uh, to talk about, and uh, one of them is uh, with uh, about uh, phony Fauci. Um, and I think that's also a reason uh, piece. It is. Uh, what exactly do the Republicans want to prosecute Fauci for? I think this is a good question because I think we're too quick in recent years to chant things like lock her up or, oh, the walls are closing in, Trump's going to jail, and to want to imprison our political 
enemies. And it's unclear what exactly Republicans, when Elon Musk tweets the other day, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci, what exactly are they wanting to prosecute him for? The most reasonable case that you can make is for lying to Congress when he said that they did not do gain-of-function research. But as this piece points out, and as I know as a criminal defense attorney, you would have to prove that Fauci knew that they did, in fact, do gain-of-function research when he testified that they didn't. So I think a prosecution could be an uphill battle on that. But I think it's like this whole posturing and saying, oh, prosecute him, it's it doesn't really improve anything. It's not really much of an improvement over the failure to prosecute powerful figures um, because he gave bad advice. That's not a crime to give bad advice as a government a government official. Um, so the only thing they really have is him testifying that they didn't do gain of function research. But I don't know if that's enough to just lock people up or not. Certainly fire him. Certainly remove him from office, but actually cage him is just a bad precedent to set. You know, these countries that have political dissidents or whatever in prison, Russia, wherever, Russia, China, it's not a good look. What do you think of uh, the January 6th uh, committee recommending that uh, they prosecute Donald Trump? I don't think it'll make much of a difference in the determination. Now, I did note that they hired an outside counsel or they appointed an independent counsel after Trump made his announcement that he's running. And that could indicate that the DOJ was already planning some sort of prosecution of him. All right, well, hang on because there, hang on, hang on because there are both criminal and political implications here. And we'll kick that around next. Jennifer Bukowski, our guest on The Gary Nolan Show. Brilliant criminal defense attorney, and she hasn't even brought up the royal family once in this visit to the Gary Nolan Show. Welcome, glad to have you with us. It is uh, ten fifty. Jennifer Bukowski is with us, and um, we're talking about prosecutions. And it was a recommendation from the January sixth committee uh, for charges against uh, President Trump. Do you think any of them will stick? Because I, I really have a hard time believing that. And what about the political implications of, you know, being indicted and, and uh, investigated by a prosecutor? Is it negative or a positive? Well, first of all, the DOJ has, doesn't have to follow any kind of recommendations from Congress. You or I could send them a recommendation for charges to file against Trump, and they don't have to listen to that either, obviously. It could be interesting to them because they're going to have a lot of depositions, sworn testimony and everything else that they have on all the different witnesses involved. If they wanted to bring charges and they have that, you know, tranche of material to use in their, you know, building of their case to lock witnesses down if they want them to testify consistently because they can threaten them with, you know, well, were you lying then? Because then that's a separate crime. So they'd have to stick to their stories if they were under oath, more, more than likely. I think politically, Trump seems to use this stuff to his advantage among his diehard supporters. But I think that I sense a weaning appetite from the party at large to see this as a qualification for presidency, to see this as something that we still want to be talking about. 
So I, I don't think it will help him win over the people that he would need to win over, which would be the people that didn't vote for him two years ago, um, if that these investigations are happening or if there is a prosecution by the DOJ, it could be damaging to his chances of retaking the White House. White House. You know, it's kind of, I, it's a, it presents a conundrum for me because I don't think he's the best candidate uh, for the job. I, I think this is the, this time we need somebody a little bit more statesmanlike. So I don't want him to run. But at the same time, and the railroad job that they've done, uh, the railroad job that the media have done, uh, and, and what they put him through in his first term, and I think to myself, I want him to win. I want it be like the middle finger to all the Democrats out there that uh, have made life so miserable for literally all of us. Yeah. It's like, which way do I really want to go here? I feel you because, you know, I was one of the earlier people kind of piping up and saying, hey, look at DeSantis. Hey, maybe he should run that Trump. And uh, when they searched Mar-a-Lago, I was, I had about had, I'm like, okay, let's go Trump. You know, I was mad because that was just such an unprecedented, disgusting, despicable move and a political one by the DOJ again. So I feel you in that regard. But, you know, I think that it's, it's going to be like the Hunter Biden's laptop. They're going to have hearings about that. They can reverse it for the DOJ. If the Democrats are still in charge of that, nothing will happen with that either. I don't think it'll impact whether or not there's a prosecution too much unless some of the information that they gathered is useful to them. But, yeah, I I don't know. I'm getting tired of it, Gary. I'm, Trump, that's one of the parts of the article that we've talked about at the bottom of the last hour or at the bottom of this half hour. Yeah. The the fact is, like, he can't get over it. He can't get over the laws. He's just hyper fixated on it. He doesn't want to build a presidential library. He doesn't want to set up a foundation. You know, things that former presidents typically do. All he wants to do is rehash that the election was stolen from him. Which, to be fair, Hillary Clinton went down a fair, went around the country a fair amount claiming that the Russians handed the win to Trump in 2016. But... I think the people want to see, look forward and look to the future and have a vision for what a Republican administration can do and what next steps to keep America great or make America great again. Or what, That's what got him elected is him saying, look at China, let's focus on our country, let's make our country great instead of going around apologizing for our country and our success, let's take care of our own people. He's not focused on those positive notes and that positive message anymore. He's just still ranting and raving about how the election was stolen from him in 2020. It, it's not so much running for the benefit of the country. It's more about running... For ego, yeah. For his ego. And that's that's part, part of the problem. But because he's gone... Well, yeah. But, but because yeah. he's gone through so much, because they've put him through such hell, because they're, you know, condescendingly saying, we are not going to let him run... Then on, uh, when they do that, I think, well, I want them to run. I want them to win. Yeah. Stick that in your <laughs> ear. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, we're going to get him convicted or this or that. So he's disqualified for office. So it's just ridiculous if they want to take that choice away from the American people at large through technicalities or what have you. Oh, that's what, you know, the presidential records, 
if he mishandled those, one of the statutes that he could conceivably be prosecuted under would be disqualifying for holding a future office. And they keep breathlessly, when, back when the Mar-a-Lago raid happened, they were breathlessly talking about that. And you have to wonder, oh, is the fact that that is like one of those peculiar statutes that actually has a provision specifically saying that? Is that why they made a big hubbub about these records to begin with? Was that the motive all along? One has to wonder. Uh, not very much. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I've gone through this list that you have, and there isn't any reference, as I pointed out a few minutes ago, to the royal family. Have you quit watching the... Uh, Oh, I, I've got some thoughts on the royal family, but, you know, I got some feedback from you at the Christmas party that you are not as excited about keeping up with, you know, Kate and William and Meghan and Harry and all the drama that I can't, for whatever reason, seem to stop reading about. Well, I'll give you, because I got a minute here before the break, and in the next segment of the program, uh, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of ground to cover, including... A man who reportedly, uh, repeatedly rather, raped a 13-year-old girl and took pictures of his assaults. Uh, and where he is headed, uh, people will not believe this. Because I read it, I thought it was, I thought this was a mistake. Uh, but we'll tell them about that. Uh, Christmas ad, bringing people to tears. Uh, then uh, Elon Musk, uh, quitting uh, as CEO of uh, Twitter. I don't know if you saw the uh, piece of the Babylon Bee. Uh, apparently, uh, that vote, uh, the mail-in vote, turned the tide <laughs> the next day. So uh, That's great. Yeah, and, and they are so clever. I really think they're brilliant over there. And the Harvey Weinstein thing. So I got, uh, well, how much time does she have, Brian, to tell us about the Royals? 30 seconds. That's more than enough. Go for it. Well, they finished their six-part documentary about why they left the royal family although harry's book the spare is still going to drop pretty soon here and uh during that six hour documentary they both detailed instances where markle who was biracial felt unsupported by the palace while being racially targeted by the british press i thought you know watching the first three episodes she was never really viewed as a black woman for most of her life you know and even audiences of shows and things that she was on didn't really classify her that way and so I think that that's kind of interesting that they keep saying it's racism but meanwhile Prince William's off at a wedding of his ex-girlfriend flying solo at that wow. it's uh, right. a whole bunch of family drama they, I don't know if All right. just... we're out of time we gotta run we're gonna come right back with Jennifer Bukowski on the Gary Nolan Show this is the Gary Nolan Show 